Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the official MTG Goldfish podcast, episode two. Uh, again, I have my co-hosts here, Seth, or as you know him, Saffron Olive, and Richard of MTGGoldfish.com. We have a lot of things to talk about today on our agenda. We have GP Omaha. Then we have our trend, hashtag trending segment, we're going to be calling it. We're going to move into ban restricted announcement, which will be happening on Monday, the 19th. We'll talk a few things, few uh, followers asked to talk about the pre-release, so we'll tackle that. We have a couple of uh, hashtag MTG fish mail requests to talk about. Just a couple limited questions and other kind of random suggestions that were made to us that we feel we need to talk about this episode, and then we'll wrap things up. So a lot of things on our plate, always not enough time. So uh, let's just jump right into it. First up on our agenda is GP Omaha. So I'll open it up to you guys. So GP Omaha, we'll start with Seth. Well, I mean, GP Omaha was awesome. I spent most of the weekend uh, when I had a chance catching the coverage, and it was a really fun tournament in a really diverse top eight, at least on its face. I mean, you have seven different decks. The only repeat is Delver, which isn't surprising. And you have some really, like, left-field decks that I would have never picked, like a, a Breachscape, uh, Through the Breach Scapeshift deck, uh, Mono Blue Merfolk, and, and Bloom Titan were all top eight decks, which is pretty interesting for a format that everyone figured was going to be dominated by Treasure Cruise. So what do you think, Rich? Well, the, the most important part that you left out was first place went to the tried and true birthing pod. Um, <laughs> so... People's fears, I think, are still there. Birthing Pod has been terrorizing Modern for quite a while, and it's still being played. And, you know, the, the Pod variant we saw was a Value Pod deck. People have moved away from Kikijiki and Malira combos. They just play good stuff, and this deck continues to put up results. Yeah, it, it seems that they have moved on to, as you said, Richard, you know, this kind of value package and not being cute with these, with this kind of combo. I think they may still have it in there as kind of like a backup plan, maybe in the sideboard. We, we've seen it more recently, but yeah, they are kind of getting away from that. Uh, the winning deck list running a plethora of one-ups, as would be expected for a pod deck. It's actually kind of interesting. I, I do indirectly know Steven Speck, the Amulet Bloom player, and it was just interesting to see, as Seth mentioned, this kind of very diverse top eight. But again, at the very end, pod kind of muscles its way back in there and kind of just dominates another tournament. So when we get into the the ban-restricted announcement later on, it'll be interesting to see. You kind of talked about it a lot, so we'll see how people respond to our, our thoughts on that. But yeah, GP Omaha was very interesting. Yeah, so the, the interesting thing is, do you guys know what the most played card at the GP was in the top eight? No, let's have it. Uh, Chalice of the Void, 13 copies. Uh, yeah. So people are probably running this to counter the multitude of cantrips from UR Delver. Yeah. Um, the most played creature tied for first place. Guess what it is? Hmm. It's not Delver. Uh, Delver's one of them, but up there with Delver, both with eight copies, is Primetime, Primeval Titan, represented That's... in Amulet Bloom wow. and Through the Breach. <laughs> <laughs> that is very interesting. Certainly making its way back into the modern scene. Prime time showing his, his dominance. So that actually kind of 
moves us into the trending segment, unless you guys have kind of final thoughts on GP Omaha. I just wanted to mention quickly, keep an eye on, and we might talk a little bit about this in trending, but Siege Rhino seems like a real card in modern. Like it was not only a four of in the pod decks, but also in some zoo decks. And also Anafenza was showing up in the top eight and in some other decks, uh, mostly in zoo. So there's more cons cards that are making an impact in modern than just the delve cards. Yeah, Anafenza and Siege Rhino seem very value in modern right now. We'll see how that uh how that plays out when it comes to the banner restricted time, but we'll save that for that segment. So yeah, directly related to GP Omaha, which leads us into our hashtag trending segment. This is a segment that we analyze specific cards that are on the move or on the decline through the MTG Goldfish website. These are posted up. A couple of cards that we wanted to talk about are Chalice of the Void, which Richard just mentioned, directly tied to GP Omaha and kind of modern in general, where Delver is seeing a very big increase in play, so is Chalice of the Void. And Orzov Pontiff, which was a little shocking because of the amount of copies that are played, and it, it was a little shocking to see Pontiff increase that much. So I'll let you guys chime in on this. Uh, we'll start with Richard. Yeah, so Chalice of the Void is an interesting card. So I'm looking at the Modern Masters version here, and up until December, it was at a pretty steady $5 uh, for a copy. But uh, in December, it jumped up to $15, and then just this past week, uh, it jumped up to over $20. And I think we're seeing a, a strong response to UR Delver list. All the non-blue decks are using Chalice of the Void to try to combat the blue uh, cantrips and counterspells. And, you know, as we're gearing up for Pro Tour, uh, the next Pro Tour, which is modern, people are stocking up on these uh, in anticipation of countering a sea of Delver decks. Yeah, it's interesting with two printings, it just keeps increasing and increasing. I mean, it it was kind of interesting to see another jump from $15 up to the, I'm looking at it now as of today, over $20, uh, over $20 as, as you mentioned. Seth, what do you think about that? I think someone's making a pretty crazy bet against Treasure Cruise getting banned. Like, I don't. I went back and looked through some deck data, databases, and if you look back over the history of the modern format, Chalice was played in 15 decks from the creation of the format till the release of Cons of Takar. That's through all the top eight lists over like a three and a half year period. Since then, it's been getting played. It's been played more times in the last three months than it was in the three years before that. So it's directly related to Treasure Cruise. And I guess whoever's buying out these cards, because that was one of the things that came across Twitter after the GP was that there was a big buyout. They must feel strongly that Treasure Cruise isn't getting banned, because if that happens, Chalice goes back to being basically unplayable in modern. Like, so it's, it's a bet directly based on Treasure Cruise. Yeah, especially with with two printings and the banner restricted announcement, this seems like a very dangerous investment. Now, it could just be a lot of people are going out to play this it, to combat Delver for the Pro Tour specifically. The BNR uh, takes effect before the Pro Tour, so that still wouldn't really come into play. Like, if you're buying right. all these with an eye to the Pro Tour, the banning is still going to crush that, and no one will be able to play it at the Pro Tour anyway or want to play it at the Pro Tour. Right. So it would it would make sense if 
the BNR announcement wasn't next week. And it just seems very interesting that so many people would buy Chalice of the Void at $15. That's a lot of money. It's a, it's a very big investment for a marginal increase that could very well get crushed on the 19th when we talk about the, the BNR announcement later in the podcast. But also, yeah, this, this just seems like a very risky gamble, a very dangerous gamble. I would what be do you looking think, to sell my chalices into this bubble right now just to hedge against the banning of Treasure Cruise. So that's my right. take on it. Go ahead, Richard. Yeah, I agree with you guys. Um, someone's made a very risky proposition here. The thing is, if, Chal- uh, sorry, if Treasure Cruise is not banned, more people will want you know, their chalices. So after Monday, the price of chalice will go even higher, right? So yep. some people are trying to get in right now. Some people are trying to take advantage of the hype. I personally would just stay away from this. You know, it's a very risky thing. My personal beliefs on Treasure Cruise may not be the same as yours, so it's very hard to <laughs> guess this. Right? Yeah, there are a couple other cards. So Orzov Pontiff directly saw an increase of this kind of resurgence of Pod and its kind of dominance over the format. But keep in mind, Pontiff was never a four of in any Pod deck. There, it was only really ever a one of or a two of split between the main deck and the side deck. So again, this just seems like a very risky play. It seems very risky, not only with the ban and restricted announcement, and that could easily crush Delver, and pod decks don't really have to play Orzhov Pontiff as much. It seems like a card directly tailored to combat that matchup. But also, you have Modern Masters 2015 right around the corner. So it's just kind of weird to be buying out or investing heavily into modern cards right now, unless you're really going to find that out that can get you that kind of guaranteed profit, which doesn't seem like much because if you try to sell it on various platforms, you may not find a, a quick buyer, especially at a new price. I don't. It seems unlikely that many people are going to be buying $20 Chalice of the Voids with banned and restricted announcements coming up next week. Now, you, it could be a payoff because if Treasure Cruise stays around, Chalice seems like a very good investment right now. Well, I just wanted to say, as far as Pontiff goes, like one of the other problems is, as you mentioned a little bit, it's even if you buy them, it's not a card that you can really sell as a playset. So you're going to be right. trying to sell these off one card at a time to people that want one in their sideboard or want one co- copy for pod. So they're going to be really difficult to get out of if you buy any number of them. Yeah, so it's not like you can just list a place that you would have to incur fees and shipping for specific one-of cards, and it just may not be worth it. Yeah. Well, what are your thoughts, uh, Richard? Yeah, I'm not as suspicious as you guys on Orza Pontiff. Uh, if you look at the online price, it's been steadily increasing since you know mid-November from $5 to about $13 now, and I think this is like the resurgence of pod. People need their Pontiffs to play pod. And the spike we see in paper where it went basically from $5 to $15 overnight was, I think, people trying to correct the price, trying to bring the two markets in line. I right. think people are anticipating that players will need Orzov Pontus in their pod deck. You will need your one copy. So, And when you're only buying one copy of a card, you don't feel so bad overpaying for it. So I, I think people are just buying it for the increased demand that they expect with the Pro Tour coming up. But... You know, it is only for pod, but I think it's a crucial part of pod. I think even if Delver decks didn't exist, you would still have a one or two of uh, Orzov Pontiff in your deck somewhere. 
So I don't think it's that bad of a of a pickup. Oh, there there was an extra card that I wanted to talk about before we move on. I had written down here. So Soul of Theros, the past week or so, has seen a very big increase, but is now on the top losers on the site. So it's on the top losers because I think it was spiking to about six dollars after the this sort of new Sadissi Soul Whip deck kind of became really popular, and it is is all over online now, and it won a Star City and top eight Star City. So what do you think, uh, Soul of Theros? It's now it was a Mythic from M15. There wasn't really a lot of value in M15. It was kind of just hanging out, you know, around one dollar, and suddenly spiked to four, uh, six, and now we can see it kind of settled around four dollars, uh, a four of in this. Sadissi Soul deck. We'll start with uh, Saffron, Seth. Uh, well, what it, it kind of <laughs> reminds me of is um, the Titans. I mean, obviously, the whole Soul Cycle is not as powerful as the Titan Cycles from past core sets. But if you think back to how the Titans reacted while they were in Standard, um, Grave Titan would get really popular. Then people realized that Frost Titan beat Grave Titan because it would tap it down. And then Infernal Titan would pop up when... Red decks and Valakut became popular. So I think we're seeing like a small scale version of that with the souls. Like we saw the black soul spike initially with Sadissi decks and now the white soul. I don't know uh, what will happen with the other ones, but I think it's uh, kind of that acyclical nature of cycles like that, where whatever is best at the specific week or month is going to go up in price and then that'll change. Right. Especially because it's, kind of in a forgotten corset M15, and we're, we're well past that now, so packs aren't really being opened, and we're kind of just, we have just kind of a stagnant supply. It did, it is showing up a lot on online now. It did win SCG uh, Columbus. So, yeah, like you said, it kind of just seems like whatever card is good in whip seems like it can increase if it's not a card that was already seeing play. What are your, what are your thoughts, Richard? Yeah, I'm not too high on Soul of Theros. I think it's a it's a bit gimmicky. It it kind of just fits into this particular whip deck, and that's it. So as long as this whip deck puts up results, Soul of Theros will maintain its price. But it's not like a Titan where if you could cast it, you would just put it in your deck. Like Titans right. were that good. Soul of Theros, you need to build around it. You need to have synergies, and you know it, it remains to see how good this Sadisi Soul deck is. Um, if it remains good, then Soul of Theros will maintain its price, but if uh, it's edged out of the metagame, then it's just going to drop back to uh, Bulk Mythic. Yeah, and certainly we can see that soon with Fate Reforged kind of making a shift in the metagame of Standard. So yeah, like like you said, if it continues to do well, it'll probably maintain its price, maybe even see an increase because of the Mythic, because of the way M15 was opened and now is kind of forgotten in the standard scene so yeah interesting that kind of wraps up this trending segment so you can look at the top gainers and top losers every day or the hashtag trending on mtg goldfish and we just kind of wanted to analyze and break down a few of those cards for the listeners for you guys Uh, and that moves us into this next segment where we talk about banner restricted announcement so a lot of the stuff that kind of we were talking about the hashtag trending segment will be related to the ban and restricted announcement. So Monday 119 is kind of the D-Day for modern. What are your thoughts? So I'll open it up to you, Richard. So a lot of price movements we've seen this week 
are in anticipation of the ban and restricted announcement. So a lot of people are betting on whether or not Treasure Cruise gets banned. Personally, I think Treasure Cruise is fine. The thing I would like to see movement on is Birthing Pod. Birthing Pod's been in the format for a while. It's been the best deck for a while. And, you know, we, we just keep seeing it in coverage. And I'm tired of Birthing Pod. I don't want to see Birthing Pod anymore. So I would like to see something done with that deck. And, you know, I would like to keep Treasure Cruise in the format. Right. So I'll move over to you, Seth. What do you think? Well, one of, I was uh, thinking and writing a little bit about Pod this week. And one of my readers pointed out that since Modern began in 2011, Pod has won almost 30% of the Modern GPs. It's won That's won six lot. out of the 22 over like a three or four year period. So this has definitely been among the best decks for a long time now. On the other hand, Wizards likes creatures bouncing into each other. And especially these new versions of Pod that aren't combo based kind of go along with the play creatures and attack theme, which Wizards uh, seems to like these days. So uh, I think if Pod is going to get banned this year, it's probably this announcement with the Pro Tour coming up because Wizards likes to shake things up sometimes before the pros get their hands on the format. So I think if it's is going to be sweating one announcement this year, it's this one, but I'm not sure if it's actually going to go. Interesting. I'll pose this question, or not really a question, So I want one from each of you. Bold prediction. Go, Seth, for Monday. Bold prediction for Monday is that Treasure Cruise gets banned and Visions gets unbanned. Ancestral Vision gets unbanned. Oof. All right, Richard? I'm going to say Pod goes and Blood Braid Elf comes back. Hmm, interesting. Uh, I'm going to go with Treasure Cruise getting banned, Pod also getting banned, Ancestral Visions getting unbanned. That's what I feel. And so one, one, one thing I just wanted to bring up is if we ban Treasure Cruise, where our metagame is going to look exactly like it did like a year ago, right? So I don't think Wizards will actually do that, right? Because they want fresh decks. You know, when you tune into coverage, you want to see fresh decks. Mm-hmm. Right? If we take out Treasure Cruise, you're going to take out Swift Spheres probably, and then you won't see any cards from Cons, you know, in the in the finals, right? So yeah, it's a it'll suspicious sit- to me. It would certainly turn modern on its head. But yeah, like you mentioned, people like tuning in and seeing different decks, and and that's a sign of a healthy format. And I think that's really what everyone wants modern to be. But it takes time. People don't realize that that modern is still fairly new, and it's going to take a lot of iterations to get it right. I believe Wizards is going to get it right. It just takes time. There needs to be a long amount of time to gather data. Uh, like, Like Seth mentioned, Pod is winning 30% of the tournaments since Modern has been a format. And it, it, ta- it takes those long amount of periods to gather that kind of data to be able to make these very precise changes in the format. Because, you know, if they ban the wrong card or they unban the wrong card, then we have another long amount of period of time where Modern is kind of all over the place again and people kind of lose interest in it. So kind of final thoughts on the ban-restricted announcement, Seth? The only other thing that I've been wondering about is what about something like unbanning Deathrite and using that as a way to fight Treasure Cruise? I'm not sure if that would be effective or not. Yeah, but, you I mentioned, mean, that's a Dark Horse possibility. Yeah, you mentioned um, on Twitter and uh, on your blog that taking away cards is always worse than adding more cards to the format. So it, it could end up being that 
they just unban cards and just leave it and kind of let people figure out what the next move is. What are your like thoughts, Skull Richard? Clamp. Oh. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, we're definitely not unbanning Skull Clamp. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I, I don't see what the big deal with Treasure Cruise is. I mean, it's good, but, you know, Lightning Bolt sees more played. Are you going to ban Lightning Bolt? Like, is it really that bad, especially with Pod putting up results? I, I would like to see the unbanning of some enablers, like Cascade and uh, Bloodbraid Elf or Deathrite Shaman. They would enable a lot more strategies. So I would like to see those cards unbanned. Yeah, because they kind of did that experiment with Bitter Blossom. And just to go back to what you said, there's always cards that are going to see a lot of increase before the ban-restricted announcement. Uh, you know, we see a lot of movement on Visions. Uh, but if it's not unbanned, it goes kind of right back to where it was prior to the ban. Uh, people kind of taking that gamble and not losing very much, you know, buy listing them back or just selling them at, at cost. So, yeah, it, it would be kind of interesting to kind of sort of unban all these cards and see where we go from there because they unbanned Bitter Blossom and that really didn't do anything. So maybe they, they take that approach. What about Stoneforge Mystic? Do you think it could oh. possibly be unbanned? <laughs> uh, yeah, so my whole my whole rant uh, about unbanning and adding more cards back to the pool, that's that's probably not a card that they're going to want to add back to the pool because then it just kind of turns into like a mini legacy where we just have Stoneforge Mystic decks and Batter Skull all over the place. So, How about Glimpse of Nature? I mean, we already have a two-mana Glimpse of Nature uh, from Return to Ravnica block. Would that really break the format if Glimpse of Nature came back? Was it ever available in Modern? Could you pull off like, Legacy Elves? Like, I'm not sure how it actually plays out in Modern. Well, you kind of have uh, that kind of shell of that elf ball deck with uh, Crater Hoof Behemoth. You know, you have cards like Nykthos. You know, maybe maybe you kind of make a new archetype. Maybe it might not even be good. Again, yeah, they've been on. They kind of did that experiment with Bitter Blossom, as I mentioned before. Maybe they just unban these cards and it doesn't do anything. You know, maybe Pod is. They don't ban Pod and they kind of unban other cards. Maybe Pod is just that good that. Unbanning these cards doesn't really do anything. They would have to really go, if they're going to go that direction, I think they're going to have to be somewhere around what you guys, your bold predictions of just unbanning some like really ridiculous card and just see see where that goes. Maybe Jace, who knows? <laughs> no, but the problem is all these cards that are kind of mid-rangey or combo cards, I would really like to see some help for aggro. Like We, we don't have a true tier 1 aggro deck in modern. Yeah, I would like to see a zoo deck that doesn't kill itself by turn three, right? Like, I, I would like to see, you know, a really good meaty aggro deck, which we, we're currently missing. I guess you are Delver is fitting that role, but that doesn't feel the same to me. It, it's certainly interesting. We'll, we'll definitely see on Monday, and I'm sure a lot of people will be shocked, and maybe some people won't be shocked. I kind of can go either way on this one. I just want Modern to kind of be fresh and injecting or taking cards out, I think Wizards is going to know best come Monday. So that'll move us into the pre-release. And we got a couple questions about the pre-release. A couple questions on pre-release stuff. Uh, I've seen over Twitter's, uh, Twitter, a couple of my followers have been talking about the pre-release, whether they're going for the first time or haven't been going. They kind of just have a couple questions. And one of the questions was, should I be trying to pick stuff up at the pre-release or wait till prices settle down. And that was from one of my followers, Top Deck Mage. 
uh, again, I'll take this time to thank everyone who was giving us feedback on the podcast. Gu Hang Chin, I hope I'm not butchering your name. I'm sorry. Great guy. And uh, a couple of comments, a few from Hayden Wilcox. Thank you. Thank you, everyone who was giving us feedback. So we're going to use this time to kind of talk about the feedback and a couple of the questions. So what do you guys think? Pre-release, should you be picking stuff up or wait till prices settle down? We'll start with Seth. It would pretty much every set somewhere around 90% of the cards are going to initially drop from their pre-sale prices. So I guess if you think you can pick uh, one of those 10% that could go the other direction, then maybe, but as a general rule, I think it's safest to be trading out of your high price pre-release cards rather than looking to buy in at that time and wait a couple months. What about you, Richard? Yeah, I, I agree. You know, if you open, say, an Ugin, I'd be looking to trade them. You know, if someone wants to trade fetch lands for Ugin, you know, I'd be all over it. Uh, but more <laughs> realistically, what's going to happen is if you need a certain Fate Reforge card for your deck, you know, I would trade whatever Fate Reforge cards you open and, you know, trade for those cards so you can build your deck. Right. You might, you know, you might lose some value, but you're going to have a deck to play with. So that'll make up for it. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't be actively trying to trade my standard staples into uh, new Fate Reforged cards. Yeah, you'd want you'd want the complete opposite. You'd be wanting the standard staples for your favorite <laughs> Forge stuff. Uh, I don't know if I mean it'll be pretty hard to get fetch lands for or you know kind of very staple stuff like that for Fate Reforged stuff. Uh, I haven't full disclosure. I haven't been to really a pre-release in a very long time. But from the one I do remember, it seems people are very kind of reserved when it comes to pre-release stuff. Everyone kind of just wants to hold on to it thinking it's going to be kind of like the next Goblin Rabble Master or, you know, the next big hot Planeswalker that's like $35, $40. So it'll be very hard no matter what. Uh, I, I do agree with Seth and Richard here. If you're looking to pick up new Fate Reforged stuff, I would trade Fate Reforged stuff for it. Or if you feel you need other stuff in standard, I would specifically trade like for fetch lands or Siege Rhinos or just kind of very staple cards like that. But either way, I think it's going to be pretty hard to like pry people's new shiny toys from their grasp. So what are you going to be looking for at pre-release if you were going or if you're not going? What would you try to be picking up, Richard? Uh, I'd be picking up nothing. <laughs> like that Like that just makes the most sense. You know, I'm not one of those guys that likes you know, that goes out and tries to get the shiniest new things. You know, I, I have my decks and I'll just continue playing them. And, you know, when I pick up the cards at a reasonable price, I'll, I'll do so. We don't know how the metagame is going to shape up yet, so I don't need to run out and try to grab every new shiny mythic. Makes sense. So how many Warden of the First Tree are you going to be getting, Seth? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know I like that card. I'm not sure, though, at $10, like how comfortable I would be uh, actively picking them up as like a speculation target. Right. Uh, for me, I think there's a couple cards, like, odds are these cards are still going to decrease in price, but if there's a couple cards that I think have a potential to increase in price over the next, like, month or two, my two picks would be Brutal Horde Chief or Whisperwood Elemental, just because I really think those cards aren't at their ceiling yet, and like I said, they probably will still drop but I think they have a chance to increase from their pre-sale price, depending on how things shake out. Yeah, and you and, you and I have talked about this in our recent articles, uh, just 
kind of analyzing cards in Favor Forge like that. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think uh, a couple of the I don't I haven't looked at pre-release prices in, in a few, in a little while, but I think you're right. I think like Whisper Wood Elemental is a card that could very well dip down drastically and kind of find its way back. It's it's a very good card. So, yeah, I don't know if it, if I was going to a pre-release, I don't know really what I would be trying to get. I, yeah, I would probably go for Brutal Horde Chief also. I, I really like that card. I've been talking about it a lot. I think it's just really worthwhile picking up because it's a very powerful mythic. With that, we go into a limited question. So I'm going to defer to you guys, but uh, we talked about this before doing the cast. So we have... For this segment, we were asked to talk about limited, and we're going to answer that by picking our favorite limited card. So I'm going to start with Seth. I just want to mention real quick before I get to my card, none of us are pro players. We're more on the financial content end of things. So if you want to hear what some really good limited players think about uh, the limited format, limited resources just posted today, I think, on Channel Fireball like a six-hour podcast of LSV and Marshall going through every common and uncommon. So if you want that end of things, check it out. Marshall and LSV are always entertaining. For me, my favorite card for limited is Jeskai Barricade. It's one in a white for a 0-4 wall that has flash and defender, obviously. And when it comes into play, uh, when it enters the battlefield, you can return another target creature you control to your owner's hand. So I like this card just because it's tricky. I mean, I like cards with flash. It's a way to save your creature from a removal spell. It's a way to potentially bounce a creature that has an enter the battlefield, like the cycle of uncommon dragons. Like you can bounce those back to your hand and get another enter the battlefield trigger. So there's just some tricky, fun things you can do with that card. I don't know if it's really a high pick, but I really like the card, and I think it'll be fun to play with. All right, what about you, Richard? So I think it says a lot about Seth that he chooses a wall as his favorite <laughs> card. <laughs> but uh, so for me personally, uh, I like broken cards and I like cloud form. So for those of you who don't know what cloud form does, it's blue, blue, one colorless. And you get to manifest a creature when it comes into play. And enchanted creature has flying and hexproof. So this to me seems terribly broken. You know, a three mana, two, two flying hexproof isn't that bad. But if you hit anything big, you're going to have a gigantic flying hexproof creature. This reminds me of Invisible Stalker. You know, Invisible Stalker just won games. This has the makings of Invisible Stalker 2.0. It comes with its built-in Butcher's Cleaver. Um, so if you manifest anything big, I think the game is going to end right there. But, <laughs> it, you know, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But, you know, it seems very broken and unfair to me. So we'll see how it goes. All right. So before I get into my... Uh... <laughs> favorite card. I don't really play limited, but I think my favorite card is going to be U- uh, Ugin. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, like, the disappointment <laughs> that is Nickel Bolas. You, you pick him up and you never cast them. Dude, is it? Dude, when you open up your pack one, isn't that going to be your pick one? Like Ugin, just like slam it, eight mana. Come on, like, isn't that good and limited? Like, if I'm know. drafting, I would slam Ugin for value. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sweet, right? Here's my draft right back. Yeah, if it ever so, hits the battlefield, you're going to win. Like, I don't think there's any way a 40-card deck is going to beat that card once it resolves. Like, yeah. it's just not going to happen. <laughs> not going to happen. 
like Saffron said, uh, I don't really have any limited uh, expertise here, so you know, I kind of just picked a really obnoxious card. From what <laughs> Richard and Seth told me, it's like I guess it's really bad and. I think it works. It's a it's a very fun card, but I think we've all been there where we try to live the dream. You know, we 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 draft Commander Core, we draft Nickel Bolas, and we're like, yeah. oh, we're one mana off. Come on, guys, we're one mana off. Hey, man, like I, I just I just realized after a while that I'm just not very good at limited. Like I just draft like Mythics. Like I remember playing an Innistrad, uh, limited, and I drafted um like Blood Gift Demon and a Reaper of the the Mythic the Demon. And like I lost, I went 0-2, and I just kind of, I kind of just, you know, admitted to myself. I'm like, you know what? You're not very good at limited or sealed <laughs> or anything like that. So I think that was like my turning point, you know. So take it with a big pound of salt. You know, I I don't think you should be drafting Ugin or something like that unless you want to make back the money that you spent to draft. That seems good. So that kind of wraps up uh, the questions. Uh, before we get into wrapping up the podcast, any kind of final thoughts? Richard, Seth? I uh, know it's it's an exciting time for Magic. You know, we, we, we have the new set coming out. We have the Banned and Restricted List update coming up. And then right after that will be the Pro Tour. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see uh, how the metagame shifts around and, you know, see how all these new cards settle down. Yeah, it's certainly going to be... It'll certainly give us a lot to talk about in the coming podcast episodes. So, yeah, it's kind of in that the the calm before the storm where... Monday, I think, is going to cause a lot of panic or excitement in the MTG community. What do you think, Seth? Last kind of thoughts before we wrap things up here? Yeah, no, I think Monday, I mean, everything you guys said, Monday's a big deal. There's some exciting stuff coming up shortly. I'm really excited just for the complexity of Fate Reforged as far as Limited that we mentioned before. So I think it'll be a lot of fun to go to the pre-release this weekend and just test out uh, these new cards, especially the walls. And I also wanted to mention to all the MTGO players out there, uh, don't forget that we have cube rafts coming back today. So if you want to fill some digital magic time until Fate Reforged releases online in a couple weeks, we will be able to uh, cube draft away some hours. So keep that in mind. It's always fun. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see kind of all these post-rotation Fate Reforged decks coming out and getting tested. It's, it's certainly an interesting time. Uh, I'm eager to see kind of very preliminary stuff and uh, what people are thinking in this kind of deck building phase where people are kind of testing out certain things and Fate Reforged, what works, what doesn't work. But uh, yeah, Monday's going to be the day and uh, we'll see what that does. It'll certainly give us a lot to talk about. It'll certainly cause a lot of questions or a lot of excitement, like I said, so we'll see where Modern ends up. We have the Pro Tour coming up, so that'll be a great thing to cover. And uh, I think that kind of just wraps up Episode 2 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. I want to thank you again for joining us here with myself, Chaz Volpe, Saffron Olive, as you know him, or Seth, and Richard of MTGGoldfish.com. If you haven't yet, tweet us. Uh, with the hashtag MTGFishmail, and we'll get back to all of your questions or comments, and we'll talk about them on the podcast. We'll try to get to everyone's. Thank you for, again, everyone who has commented on our first episode. We plan on adding stuff as we see fit, and I think that uh, that leaves things on a good note. 
a reminder to subscribe to us on iTunes. It would help us out, and you'd get notified whenever a new podcast goes up. Yep. So, yeah, do that. And, yeah, thanks, everyone, for joining us for the official MTG Goldfish podcast. This is Chaz Volpe signing out. See you guys next time.